Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. This is all totally not getting cut out. Yes! We are go for launch. Next, it's time for power rankings. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm gonna pull an audible at the last minute here. I'm kinda nervous now. Power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. Last time on the podcast, as we were trying to uh, pick Adam's list, uh, I won. Thank you. Thank you. No applause needed. Um, and so I got to pick the uh, the category for this, this round's power rankings. And in choosing my category, my first thought was, let's try and find a category that would legitimately disqualify Fargo because we can't pick Fargo. That's been the running joke since our first podcast. Fargo cannot be picked in any of our power rankings. So let's come up with a a list where Fargo would normally be included on all of our lists. And so my list is movies that have a city in the title. Movies that have a city in the title. That is our category. Uh, The top five movies with a city's name in the title. And we're going to start with Zach this time. Zach, give us your number five uh, city movie. Well, you know, um, it was sort of an... I I thought it would be easier to think of this list, uh, but it really wasn't. Um, There aren't a whole lot of movies with full city names in them. It's actually a lot of classic movies, which a lot of them actually made my list and my honorable mentions. But I'm going to start out number five on my list being my uh, number one film of 2015, Brooklyn, by John Crowley, starring Saoirse Ronan and Emery Cohen named for the city in which it's largely set, set in the 1950s, telling the story of a young Irish immigrant as she assimilates to the United States. Um, I think it beautifully mixes the life of this character with the city that she's in, and uh, it's a great film if you haven't checked it out. My number one of 2015, one of the best films of the decade, Brooklyn. It is a great film. That movie just missed my list. It probably should have made my list, but... I wanted to make sure I put a couple extras in there. Um, I'm going to go next. My number five uh, is a movie that everyone kind of hated, but I really enjoyed it, and I wanted to make sure I was able to talk about it, so I put it on my list. And that movie is Elizabethtown, the 2005 Cameron Crowe film starring Orlando Bloom and Kirsten Dunst, uh, about a man kind of searching for himself and takes a road trip uh, across the country, um, and has a soundtrack built for him on what that uh, on what the theme of that road trip was going to be. Um, again, a lot of people didn't like this as it was kind of Cameron Crowe um, starting to fall apart in his filmmaking. A lot of people thought, uh, but I love this movie. I thought it was sweet. I thought it was endearing, um, and it's it's one of my personal like uh, like guilty pleasure movies. Uh, Elizabethtown is my number five. Just for the record, I hate that movie, Terry. I, I, <laughs> I, I cannot stand it. I think it's actually one of the worst movies of the decade, and I rewatched it within the last couple of years, and it still sucks. That's too bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, interesting pick there. 
See, I and, and, and it normally wouldn't be on this list, but I, I knew no one else would even consider it, and you all hate it, so I, I had to had to make sure it cracked the top five so I could talk about it. And you're not being ironic. You're being sincere. Elizabeth. I'm being okay. I love okay. Elizabethtown. Okay. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, Brooklyn was a good pick <laughs> if I thought that it qualified. I don't. I actually have some, uh, like, guidelines that I made for myself to narrow it down. So Brooklyn, Manhattan, and a Bronx Tale don't count because they're boroughs and not cities. Summerstown is a district, not a city. Synecdoche, New York, and Sin City are nicknames. Ebbing, Missouri, and Oz don't exist. Le- Iwo Jima is an island, and New York is not the full city name, so I don't include that. So that narrows it down for me. So Brooklyn doesn't count, Zach. Okay, those are very arbitrary rules, but <laughs> those are very <laughs> Go ahead. those are very direct rules. <laughs> all right, so my number five, having said all that, is uh, Werner Herzog's 2009 movie Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans, which is one of my favorite random movies of the last like ten years. It's Nicolas Cage at his most unhinged, at least uh, other than his string of movies in the early '90s, which we might talk about later in the podcast. Uh, <laughs> and it, it has a ton of classic moments and it has very little resemblance to the harvey Keitel version of the story it's just a trippy bizarre violent repulsive movie that has that should have won the cage another oscar honestly and uh i'll try to mention it every time it qualifies and because of the ridiculously long name of the title it does here new orleans that bad lieutenant is my number five and kind of questionable grammatical uh, syntax of the title, but it yeah. adds to its charm. Yeah. Yes, very excessive nonsense of a title, yes, I agree. All right, Zach, number four. All right, well, going back into history books for number four is from 1975, Robert Altman's Nashville, set in the titular city of Nashville, covering a 24-hour period. Actually, it's more than 24 hours. It's like four or five days. Um, but it has a huge cast. It was one of those big, sprawling movies from the 70s when directors were able to incorporate their own original idiosyncratic ideas. And uh, Altman's not a director that I have a passionate love of. I think he's dramatically here to miss. But Nashville is unquestionably his masterpiece. I mean, there are characters in this movie, particularly the uh, Barbara Baxley character, the Lily Tomlin character, the Barbara Harris character that really stick with me. And um, it's just a great watch. Even in, in 2018, it really hasn't dated very much at all, particularly with the sort of current political state that we're in, but I think Nashville is very much critiquing um, in a 1970s context. Great music. The movie's like an hour long of music, all original music, and beautifully sung, and uh, it's a real tribute to the city of Nashville. It makes me want to go there, and I don't think uh, any other... That's a, that's a strong sentiment to have. So. Great film. All right. Yeah, I, great pick. That might be showing up later on mine. It might show up on mine if I've seen Nashville, which I haven't, so I need to make sure I, I catch that one Elizabeth soon. Town, but not Nashville. I haven't seen wow. Nashville, man. <laughs> okay, I, I think you might like my number four better than my number five. My number four is from 2007, 310 to Yuma, uh, directed by James Mangold, starring Russell Crowe and Christian Bale. Uh, Christian Bale plays a small-town rancher who is given the task of helping guard an outlaw played by russell crowe as he is awaiting the 310 train to yuma uh to um stand trial for his crimes and uh he has to help fight off his gang as uh, as they come and try to break crow out it is uh, an amazing movie a great modern western um i absolutely love it uh 
I haven't seen the original, but uh, I really enjoy uh, the remake. So 310 to Yuma from 2007 is my number four. Yeah, one think? of the cases where the original is far inferior to the remake. Like, yeah, the, the remake is unquestionably a better movie. And Terry, I believe we saw that movie together. I think you're right. At Lloyd right. Center in Portland. Yep. Yeah, going back down memory lane. Absolutely. <laughs> Shout out to PDX. Keep Portland weird. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, Todd, number four. Okay, my number four is the 1965 Norman Jewison movie, The Cincinnati Kid. It's uh, a movie that I've always really loved. It's the second best poker movie ever behind Rounders. Uh, it's definitely Steve McQueen's best performance ever. He plays a young, up-and-coming poker player who is sort of on a collision course with like a, a legendary stud player uh, played by Edward G. Robinson, who's one of the great character actors of the time. It also has Carl Malden, Rip Torn, and Margaret. This is a, a really good movie, and Norman Jewison's always been an underrated director. And it was, it's it's definitely one of those movies that is sort of in the post-Hustler uh, era of trying to like come up with like similar storylines in different settings. But this is as good as it can get, like in a in the years following the the Hustler. So yeah, but the Cincinnati Kid, great movie, great poker movie. That's my number four. Of course, Todd has to have a poker movie on his list. I think I think that's that's the uh, that's another qualifier of the list. Todd has to have a poker movie. Zach has to have a French film. Oh, hey, that perfectly leads into my number three. There we what go. You know? Perfect segue. Zach, number three. Well, number three is a French film from around the same time as the Cincinnati Kid. This one is from 1964, and it is Jacques Demy's Les Perplis du Cherbourg, or The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, as it's known in the United States. And uh, I'm not a huge fan of musicals, but uh, this is one of the all-time best ones. It is a uh, musical that is it, it, it consists entirely of singing. There is no spoken dialogue in the movie. It is a character singing the whole time, so in that sense, it's like an opera. Um, but it's a really beautiful film. Dam Damien Chazelle has said on numerous occasions that it's actually his favorite film. The color palette is spectacular, and it's set in Cherbourg and told in three parts. Uh, it portrays these lovers played by uh, beautifully by Catherine Deneuve, one of the great uh, beautiful performances in film history, and Nino Castronovo, as, and he's a soldier that goes off to war in Algeria, and so the movie sort of shows what happens before he leaves, during he leaves, and after he leaves, and uh, I guarantee if you ever see the film, you'll never forget the haunting uh, main theme from it. Criterion just came out with a beautiful Blu-ray set of it, uh, absolutely wonderful film. The sequel also contained a, ti a city in the title, and the sequel was the Young Girls of Russia 4, but wasn't quite as good as the Umbrellas of Cherbourg. All right. All right. I have not seen that one either. I need to see that. Um, my number three is a movie we've talked about extensively on the podcast before. Um, it's a film that I think everyone has seen. If not, you need to see it. Uh, it's a classic that uh, if it's not on your list of, of this, you're lying to yourself. And that is Casablanca. Uh, what a what an amazing film! Uh, I actually just heard recently that this film debuted, I think maybe two weeks after Casablanca was actually freed from uh, the Axis powers during World War II. So it's amazing to think about that this was a film very much about World War II, dur uh, about Nazi reign and Nazi rule, 
while the Nazis were still ruling and still reigning over that part of the world. Uh, adds a completely different feel to it when you consider that historical context. But uh, Casablanca, my number three. Hard, hard to argue. Yeah, hard to argue with that. Although I do have a different 1943 World War II movie coming up later. Um, Ooh, my what? number three has been mentioned already, and that is Nashville. Um, it's hard. It was gonna be hard to leave that off the list. I've only seen it once, but it's like permanently ingrained in my head, and actually moving further up my all-time list. Uh, it's yeah, Vintage Altman, the great ensemble cast, uh, each of whom get their chance to shine throughout the movie, and it's essentially like 160 minutes of like sitting in the country music. Scene almost like you're at Woodstock or something, watching the stars, the wannabes, and the the has-beens all like giving it all on stage. And the music is amazing, particularly "I'm Easy" and "Honey," which are songs I'll never forget by Oscar winner Keith Carradine, which I think makes him the only Oscar winner to ever appear on Dexter. Is that that right, Terry? Ooh, that is a great question. I'm gonna say yes for now. Me too. But yeah, Nashville is an amazing movie, and it, yeah, top 100 for sure. That's my number three. Yeah, Ebert later said, Ebert, who loved the film, said that uh, It Don't Worry Me, the song at the end of the film, should be the national anthem. I agree. And Todd, who's your MVP of Nashville? I think this is a really important question. Uh, well, I mean, I, 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 love, I love Keith Carradine's... Keith Carradine's songs yeah, and he's, stuff like I mean, it'd be hard to argue. He's amazing that. in the film. He's amazing in the film. I think most people would say Lily Tomlin. Uh, I love the Christina Raines character. I, uh, Ronnie Blakely, I think it was one of her first films. I mean, it's really hard to pick, but it's just spectacular. Yeah, Terry, why have you not watched this? I don't know. I guess I got to go out and watch that one. Some of Altman's films from the 70s have, have aged, I think, kind of poorly, but Nashville has not. It's actually, I think, gotten better as time has gone by. Okay, Zach, number two. All right. Number two is uh, Paris, Texas from 1984, the great Vin Vendors film. I had that as your number one, dang it. Oh, so close. <laughs> now we know, uh, I already told you this number one's going to be. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> well, geez, let's uh, keep, let's keep the going. suspense going. Um, yeah, so Paris, Texas, uh, you know, the cinematographer for Paris, Texas, Robbie Mueller just died, RIP, like he died a couple days ago. So, um, one of the reasons I love Paris, Texas is the look of it. Actually, that's one thing that has stayed with me even more than the performances or the story is, uh, I, you can watch that movie with like the sound and audio turned off. Although the music's wonderful in it too, but you really could just watch it as, as a visual spectacle. Uh, it's a beautifully illuminated, beautifully shot film. Um, just a great mix of landscapes of the American West, but also the cityscapes of Los Angeles and later Houston. Um, the story in it is wonderful. We all know Kurt Cobain loved this film too. Um, interestingly enough, this, there's only like one scene in the film that actually takes place in Paris, Texas. So based on Todd's qualifications, I don't know if it would apply or not. I don't know. But uh, great film. Harry Dean Stanton, R.I.P. Uh, awesome, awesome movie. One of the best days. Yeah, it's a great movie. I think it's slightly overrated, but uh, I, do, I do like the movie. You know, the story doesn't quite hold up as well as, as it once did, maybe. Um, but visually and in terms of the mood and the music um it's just wonderful have you seen it terry i have not but you know you have seen elizabethtown 
I have, and it's it's on it's on my top five. Looking at my have honorable mention. Have you seen mention, the Nashville TV show? That's the question. No, no. <laughs> okay, well that's good. <laughs> I'm sitting here looking at my honorable mention, and I'm I'm realizing how much of a mistake it was to put Elizabeth Town on on my list, but I'm sticking to you it. Think? It's on my list. It's on my list. Number two for me uh, is from 1997, and that is LA Confidential. Uh, wonderful movie about uh, 1950s LA, uh, looking at corruption in the police department, corruption in the filmmaking industry. Um, it, it's a it's an amazing film made in the 90s, uh, but feels like a classic uh, classic crime drama, crime thriller. Uh, starring Kevin Spacey and Guy Pearce and Russell Crowe and Kim Basinger and Danny DeVito and all sorts of other other people. It's a huge cast. Amazing film. I love this one. Uh, it's one that I, I watch every time it pops up on TV. LA Confidential, my number two. Great movie. Okay. My number two is the best World War II movie from 1943. It's Billy Wilder's Five Graves to Cairo. Uh, it's a movie that I probably wow. would have come across if not for my obsession <laughs> wow. with Tarantino lists, and uh, it was on his, it's on his top ten of all time, so I uh, naturally uh, found a random copy of it. Um, it's about a British soldier who is a lone survivor in World War, a World War II battle in Egypt, uh, and he ends up at a desert hotel where he assumes the identity of a German because they're about to like make that a headquarters, and he uh, Desert Fox comes and he's like uh, to the same hotel and starts like talking about how their big plan is to like store a bunch of weapons and supplies in five graves like throughout Egypt on the way to Cairo and so he's trying to get the info back to the allies uh, It's I think it's Billy Wilder's most underrated and definitely underseen movie and um, it's a thriller but it's not soft like a lot of the 40s uh, war movies are and uh I don't know how it was in a more popular movie. Maybe it's just because it came out the same year as Casablanca, but it's Billy Wilder, and, and I love the movie. I don't know. I don't know why people haven't seen it. You got, have you either of you seen it? Nope. No. <laughs> why not? <laughs> there was some disgust in that answer, Zach. Well, I'm just you know I'm I'm processing right now because like you're really gonna go with that over Casablanca. I mean. What, you're just trying to be, make a statement here, man. We, I think it's a, I think it's better. I haven't ranked higher on my top 100. That's ridiculous. I mean, you haven't wow. even seen it. You haven't well, even heard of it. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am intrigued by the cast: Eric von Stroheim and Anne Baxter. Um, but wow, I guess I'll have to watch it. I don't know. When you beat me at Power Rank, if, the next time you beat me at Oscar trivia, maybe that will be. Uh, something you have to think of if you, if you still remember it by then <laughs> <laughs> okay all right well let's get into our number ones zach number one city movie uh also from 1943 not five graves to cairo um the film is casablanca might have heard of it you know only the greatest movie ever made maybe uh michael curtis humphrey bogart ingrid bergman um not ronald reagan uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's an interesting choice. I was a little maybe reluctant to put it as my number one because technically it wasn't shot in Casablanca. It was shot on a studio back lot at Warner Brothers. And so it's not like the most realistic depiction of Casablanca. In fact, if you want to flaw, 
fault the movie in any way. You know, the backgrounds are really goofy. You watch those scenes of Colonel Strasser landing on the airstrip at the beginning of the movie, and you think, oh, my God, this is so corny. I can't imagine showing it to, like, 14-year-olds today and them actually sitting through that and taking it seriously. But if you can get through that, it's a wonderful movie, and, you know, everything that Terry said I echo. And uh, even though it doesn't, it wasn't shot in the city, it has a really international cast, which I think adds to its charm, and uh, it's pretty much a perfect movie. I think even Billy Wilder would have probably picked Casablanca. <laughs> I guess that's speculation. We recasted uh, that movie at one point, remember? Um, yes. That, that was painful. We did. We did. Yes. Except John Hamm would definitely be the lead, still. Well, as long as it's not George Clooney or Kate Blanchett, we're good. Exactly. exactly. Touche. Okay. My number one uh, is, again, one of my all-time favorite movies. It is, uh, it is a movie that I love to watch uh, over and over again. I think it's a movie that every American needs to see at least once, um, especially with how, uh, how our country is, is today. Um, and that is 1939's Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Uh, Jimmy Stewart playing uh, Senator Jefferson Smith, a uh, naive idealist who's basically a Boy Scout who all of a sudden finds himself as a senator and realizing that um, that holding such a high office does not really mean as much as he thought it did. Um, it is an amazing movie. Uh, I think this movie is really what established Jimmy Stewart as, uh, as the, the stereotype of what you think of with Jimmy Stewart, even more so than It's a Wonderful Life. I think uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington really established him as this ideal American, and uh, I, I find it as just a perfect movie. And uh, again, if you are an American and you have not seen Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, go out and see it. Especially, I mean, Fourth of July, it's a great time to go, uh, to go see uh, a patriotic movie like this. So Mr. Smith Goes to Washington is my number one, even though it doesn't fully qualify for Todd's list. I'm sorry. <laughs> Because yeah, it doesn't have the that. DC on the end of it. Well, technically, the <laughs> name of the city is just Washington, and it's in the DC district. It's not. It, it'd be like saying, you know, it didn't say New Orleans, Louisiana, so you can't pick it. <laughs> so technically, I'm right. No. Booyah. No. Isn't New Orleans like a municipality? Is it even a city or something? I don't all I can think of, Terry, when I hear that selection, and I don't disagree with it because it's a great movie, I think of that great line in Apollo 13, Christopher Columbus, Charles Lindbergh, and Neil Armstrong. When I think of that, I think of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Casablanca, and Elizabethtown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, yes, yes. I, I, I don't know. I have no comeback for that. How could you? I, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Todd, number one. <laughs> okay, um, I think you probably already know what my number one is. I think it's been number one on like three of my lists, and here's a, yet another one. Uh, I cannot do a list without mentioning Vegas, and so Leaving Las Vegas is definitely the number one. Movie with the city in the title. Uh, it completely just um, captures everything about Las Vegas, the... You know, like, uh, the dirtiness of the day and, like, the sinisterness of, like, off the strip at night. And uh, the story is, I mean, we've talked about it several times. Uh, it's it's amazing. It's a perfect movie. And Nicolas Cage and Elizabeth Shue should have both won Oscars. And, uh, yeah, 
It is the only answer for this. It would even be above Fargo if it qualified. So 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 let's 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 play the tally now. Todd has two Nicolas Cage movies <laughs> on his list. Yeah. I yeah. I have two Russell Crowe movies. Neither wow. of which are Elizabethtown. And uh, and uh, Zach has a movie named Paris, but that's not the French one. So uh, yeah. So yeah. I think we're gonna have to start changing the power rankings to no Fargo and no leaving Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah I was kind of. I kind of feel bad putting it number one just because, like, I've done this before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or maybe and and maybe no Casablanca. I don't know. Maybe no Cairo either. No Cairo. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, okay. No. Well, let's uh, let's let's give our honorable mentions and uh, and then we'll see uh, see what Adam picks. So Zach, honorable mentions. Uh, okay, I went uh, Tokyo Story, the great Ozu Japanese film about elderly parents who uh, the parent no one wants to take in anymore. Twin Falls, Idaho, which I don't really remember a lot of, but it's about these conjoined twins, and I thought it was a cool movie. That's a uh, weird choice. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's wrong with it, man? You're gonna bust my balls over Twin Falls, Idaho, when you pick Five Graves to Nowhere. I mean, let's get real here. Okay, so back to my honorable mentions list. Uh, John Singleton's uh, Rosewood, seriously underrated film from the late '90s about a lynch mob in Florida in the 1920s. Great film. Uh, yeah, I gotta put Leaving Las Vegas on there. Why not? And then uh, last on my list, Los Angeles plays itself, which is a really cool documentary about the way that Los Angeles has uh, inserted itself in film history, like. Uh, not just as the hub of Hollywood and film production, but also how various films have been set in Los Angeles. Really cool documentary. Check it out. All right. Uh, my honorable mention, I have Brooklyn, which Zach mentioned earlier. Uh, Selma came out a few years oh, ago talking about uh, Martin Luther King and the, uh, the, march, uh, the march through Selma. That's um, a good one, Terry. Midnight <laughs> in Paris, uh, possibly my favorite Woody Allen film. Um, uh, Philadelphia, uh, where with uh, Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington, but not Philadelphia um, Story. But not Philadelphia Story. No. No. Um, Tombstone, uh, with uh, with Kurt Russell and Val Kilmer, uh, looking at the story of Wyatt Earp, and the last one I believe is another one Zach that we saw together, and that is Paris Jatem, the uh, the. Uh, the movie with all the different parts put together um, from all sorts of different filmmakers on what they uh, what they love about the city of Paris. Of course, I show a short film from Paris Chatem at the beginning of semester for all the intro film classes I have ever taught, and it's the one that was directed by Walter Sellis and Daniela Thomas. Which one's Great. that one? It's the one about, uh, I'm struggling to remember, the, Catalina Sandino Moreno plays a, um, uh, uh, a babysitter, essentially. Sure, sure, yeah, she yeah. Walks, it's a beautiful short film. It's on YouTube if you ever want to see it. But that's the standout in that uh, collection. Yeah, they're, they're, they're all great. I, I love that. I love that movie. All right, Todd. All right. Uh, I got some uh, I got some honorable mentions, too. One of which I was kind of thinking Terry was going to put on there because I know we both really liked it. That was Cedar Rapids. Oh, yeah. I just thought of that one. And uh, I also got 1208 East of Bucharest, which is a hilarious <laughs> foreign movie. Uh, Gamblers in Okinawa, which is a gangster movie uh, by the guy who did Battle Royale. Uh, Judgment at Nuremberg, uh, great courtroom drama, obviously. Casablanca, 
and uh, the Palm Beach Story, uh, which is one of Preston Sturgis's best movies. I uh, I just recently watched Twelve Oh Eight East to Bucharest, and that movie is absolutely insane. Um, it is, but yeah, it's it's a great one. It's a great one. Yeah, yeah. outstanding. Romanian cinema. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so those are our lists, but now let's get to the important stuff. Now we're looking at Adam's list. Our friend Adam, uh, a uh, a fellow contributor to uh, to the Almost Sideways Network, uh, has given us his top five uh, movies that have a city in the title, and we're going to try and guess his list, and the winner gets to pick our topic next time out. So, Zach, give me your prediction for Adam's list. Leaving Las Vegas, Sin City, L.A. Confidential, Gangs of New York... And, oh, it's, I'm really torn between two. I will go with Bad Lieutenant Protocol New Orleans. Okay. Uh, my list, I've got Casablanca, Brooklyn, Gangs of New York, Leaving Las Vegas, LA Confidential. Todd. All right, I got this. Uh, number five, Straight out of Compton. Number four, Leaving oh, Las one. Vegas. Number three, Casablanca. Number two, LA Confidential. And number one, Manchester by the Sea. Oh. Okay. Well, now is the moment of truth. I have Adam's list. The sixth um, one I was going to pick was Sleepless in Seattle. All right. Honorable mentions. We have Tombstone, Philadelphia, Gangs of New York, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. I'm alive. Number five, 13 Hours Secret Soldiers of Benghazi. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> number four LA Confidential number three Casablanca number two 310 to Yuma and number one okay Todd this is really going to make you mad because it totally <laughs> does not go with your rules at all because number one is Chinatown <laughs> oh Chinatown's not a city <laughs> it's yeah, an area be- in multiple cities that, Just, yeah, that's like all of my my stipulations. Like, <laughs> oh man. Well, I got two. I got one. I I got. I think I got two. Casablanca and LA Confidential. Yeah. Yeah, I had those three and two. And I had those one and five. And he had them three and four. Todd gets it. I think Todd gets it. Yeah. I can't I believe almost, you I almost out of put like, I was proud of that one. I almost put like Batman Gotham Knight on there because it's yeah. an animated Batman movie yeah. with Gotham in the title, but <laughs> But it wouldn't have qualified in Todd's uh Todd's. Oh origin. no, not at all. Well neither is Chinatown. Well Wizard of Oz would have I thought Terry was gonna have that, even though it's a fake city. Yeah, I went I went with real cities. Just because it says Chinatown doesn't mean that it's an actual town named China, Adam. <laughs> says the man who picked Elizabethtown. I don't know. I, that, I saw that Elizabethtown is a though. legit city, okay? And you, I would it, prefer it, a fake city to Elizabethtown. <laughs> no one wants to go there. Even if, even if, if Kristen, uh, what's her name, is the stewardess. No, thank you. Yeah, Dunks. yeah, yeah. Kirsten manic Dunst. pixie dream manic pixie dream girl no thanks 
Okay, well, thanks, Adam, for ruining that. Um, Todd, <laughs> you get to pick our next uh, our next power ranking. Uh, yeah. So make sure you pick something that you can uh, you can pick leaving Las Vegas for. Um, of, course. of course, and Fargo. And Fargo. Goodness gracious. Okay, let's move on. Uh, it is now time for Oscar trivia. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. He's gonna beat me every time. Oscar trivia. However, it's not quite Oscar trivia this time. We'll talk more about that later. First, we have to report on some movies. We have several movies to report on today. And this could be a lot of fun. First off, Zach uh, corrected his, uh, his mistake from the last podcast. Todd wanted him to watch Deadfall. And so Zach watched Deadfall, just the wrong Deadfall. And, and Todd and I have decided that it is now going to be like a, a running joke that um, whenever a, a, a questionable movie comes up, we have to ask whether it's the Eric Bana version or the other one. Um, so, <laughs> so anyway, so we've got that, uh, Todd subsequently went and watched the Deadfall with Eric Bana so he could tell us what he thought of that. And then I have a movie that I watched that is going to spark all sorts of debate because it is one that Todd and Zach have debated for a long time. And it was, uh, it was the punishment from the last Oscars trivia that Todd gave me. So let's start with Zach. Um, Zach, tell us about the right deadfall. So the deadfall that Todd picked from two podcasts ago is a film that features a, shall we say, um, excitable performance by Nicolas Cage. Uh, <laughs> if you've ever seen the supercut, Nicolas Cage loses his huh. It plays a prominent role in that supercut. I now realize. Um, that is... <laughs> yep. <laughs> he does not Eric Bana. <laughs> yeah. He out-acts Eric Bana, believe it or not. He should have been the Hulk. No. Um, oh, man, that would be trippy, yeah. man. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Well, n- normally when I lose an Oscar trivia to Todd, I get really frustrated about it, and I air out my frustration and all that. All I have to say is, Todd, I'm so glad I lost you to podcasts ago because deadfall is an amazing movie i mean the in nicholas cage's performance i don't know you can't really call it a performance it's it's certainly art of some kind you know most performances are something that a performer gives out and then nicholas cage in this movie it's it's like you just receive it it's like uh you know installation installation art or something Anyway, in this movie, he plays, I don't know, a hitman, I guess. He's not even the main character in it, but uh, he's this really coked up hitman named Eddie. And, um, you know, he freaks out a lot. Um, He wears this, like, fake mustache and this kind of uh, uh, sport coat. And um, it's just awesome. I mean, you see him and, and you just think, like, oh, this is, you know, the talented thespian who won an Oscar for leaving Las Vegas as he completely loses his huh. while screaming at a strip club, you know, the word huh. for, like, seven seconds straight, right? And, uh, you know, getting really angry at hangers, you know, throwing them on the floor <laughs> and, uh, you know, talking about, uh, you know, giving off, you know, pick a card, you know, any card, man. You're the Joker, man. And, um, yeah, so... So anyway, um, 
it, it, Nicolas Cage is great in this movie. It has a lot of other cast members. It was directed apparently by his brother, Christopher Coppola. I did an internet deep dive on this movie today, so it's all I've been thinking about. Um, apparently, Naturally. it was made for $10 million, which is amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know how that movie it was made for it doesn't look like it looks like an episode of diagnosis murder you know it has that like <laughs> early 90s cbs medical drama look to it um but charlie sheen is in it uh, he's really good he, he he has a pool game uh, the, the strangest game of pool ever because when he hits the ball with the stick he only hits like a yellow eight he doesn't hit the white ball but anyway i don't i was confused talia shire's in it peter fonda is in it and i saw that on the cast list and i honestly don't remember him in it even though i saw it about 10 hours ago um and uh yeah james coburn is in it and the leads are played by people i've never heard of before it's an awesome movie i mean i'm, I'm just so thankful todd that you made me watch it i was really reluctantly going into it because i didn't think that the eric banna deadfall would ever be surpassed this movie does it it's a three-star movie it's like legit better than a lot of movies from 1993 i kind of love it man i man you know it's um it's a great time in the movies. It's one of it's one of my favorite noir films now. I mean, the guy with the claw is the arm. Uh, you just can't make that stuff up. Yeah, can, that can movie I just is say absolutely you're, you're, bananas. Can I just say you, uh, your Nicolas Cage is not your best outing when it comes to impressions. Well, I thank you, but I only do The Rock, Nicolas Cage. Yeah, not. I, it I, no, I don't think anyone can imitate. Like, it kind of still sounds like uh, Connery. <laughs> okay, well, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have a really hard time during my quote of the day, then. I'll okay. Okay. But uh, it's a great movie, absolute masterpiece. And it, yeah, it, it's uh, it's crazy, and it's uh, something you, you need to watch. Uh, probably a little intoxicated, and it'll make it even better. And for the record, the main character is the guy from. He's Kyle Reese from Terminator. So yeah, yeah. he's not completely <laughs> anonymous. John Connor's father. Yes. But yeah, that, He's great I'm, in the movie I'm glad too. that you actually enjoyed watching the movie because like most of the stuff you make me watch are like four hours long and like take all day. There, but there like, are only two other actors that could have possibly played Eddie. Okay, go with me on this, Todd. Tommy okay. Wiseau is one, and oh, Joaquin yeah. Phoenix is the other. Uh, but otherwise, it's just it, it, it's incalculable. No one else could have played that role. Well, I guess James Franco playing Tommy Wiseau could have played it. Possibly. I want to see a I want to see a disaster artist about the making of this movie. It, it, there has to be some great stories here. Is he better flipping dollars? out about the hangers or at the bed when he's like he's like screaming and pounding on the bed? I I really like when he greets his girlfriend on the sidewalk and starts dancing with her like a ta- like a you know like a ballroom dance, you know, and she's like <laughs> wearing this like red dress. And then when he's driving his car, you know, and then he just flips out and starts <laughs> laughing uncontrollably. <laughs> And I don't want to spoil the movie, you know, spoiler alert, you know, because people are really going to want, want to watch this. But his death scene is also pretty awesome, too. Um, even though he dies with about 30 minutes left in this movie, um, it actually, I, you know, it, it still holds up pretty well at the end. But uh, being forced into a vat of burning grease and having your face burned off is the only possible way this character could have met his end. Indeed. Tell us about uh, your deadfall, Todd. Uh, well, it's not as good. Uh, I thought, I think most of it was pretty bad. Uh, it's, I mean, it does have this, like, it has a really sort of dark aura that shows that director probably has talent. I mean, he did win an Oscar, but I, I don't know. It's almost like a 
sinister, dark, Fargo-ish look to it. But other than that, it's not really interesting. The ending is ridiculous. Like, mainly, like, more, more like the last 45 minutes are just completely stupid. And, uh, yeah, it's a one-and-a-half star movie for sure. And that 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 is it. We don't have to talk about that movie ever again on the podcast. That's it. I just, I just want to say about that movie. He's apparently a silver medal winning Olympist from the Beijing Olympics who no one really recognizes or cares about in the town. Like, wouldn't you think that this town in North Dakota or whatever would like, you know, he's their celebrated son and he just walks by and no one even knows who he is, even though he's been released out of prison. Do you think he'd have more recognition? But, you you know, alas, I mean, that is a detail and I I don't think this movie is very concerned with details. I, I put it in the so bad it's good category, not the 90, not to the level of the 1993 deadfall. I think we need more Nicolas Cage for that, but, uh, you didn't, you didn't like this, the stern police chief and his, uh, you know, daughter and, uh, their relationship. I mean, that was, you know, that was some riveting stuff there. Yeah. It gets a little incestuous. No, I didn't like it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll just I'll just throw out there neither Deadfall I have seen, so uh, I, I, it sounds like I may need to catch one of them. And may- choose the Nicholas Ca- Nicholas Cage one. Yeah, he's yeah, going to accidentally the- watch the wrong one. I'll, I'll yeah, it's very possible. I, I think we just need to work our way through Eric Bana's filmography now and like review a different one for every podcast, just so we can talk about Eric Bana more. Well, we said that there was another Deadfall made in like 1968 with Michael Caine. I think that's our next uh, mission. There we go. Mm. coming to the next podcast okay uh so todd won the last oscars trivia and since zach still had to watch a movie he had me watch a movie and finally settle once and for all uh the uh debate that todd and zach have had over the 2011 film margaret um todd gave it four stars and it's his number one of the year adam gave it four stars it's his number four of the year zach, Ooh, what, a sho- what a shocker yeah zach gave it one star so this movie is either a masterpiece or it's a mess and so which side was i going to fall on uh they've both been uh uh campaigning that i would be on their side for years and now i finally uh, which version did you watch i i watched the extended version the- the long okay. version. Yeah, the, the three-hour and five-minute version. This movie is a mess. Oh, thank this, you. This movie is, oh, my word. This, I I don't even know. Uh, so th- this movie is about uh, Anna Paquin plays this high school student who, um, who distracts a bus driver and uh, who ends up uh, hitting and killing a pedestrian. And, Allison Janney. Played by Allison Janney, uh, who's literally on screen for her death scene, and that's about it. And um, and it's her living through her life, trying to figure out uh, what to do with this guilt. It, it 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 its premise is really good. Uh, I thought it was. It started out strong as this interesting movie about um, about tragedy and grief and guilt. Um, but the problem was it seemed to want to tell like three different movies all in one. Like this could have been made into like three different hour long movies about different things. I mean, it's as if the movie he wanted to tell, and it's Kenneth Lonergan, the man who did, uh, Manchester by the Sea last year. Um, he did, uh, You Can Count on Me, which I haven't seen yet, but it's revered as a masterpiece. Um, 
it's like he he took the film he wanted to make and then tried to also make it be Ladybird at the same time. Uh, the the uh, uh, some film about just high school drama, and it's it doesn't work at all. There are so many scenes and so many characters that are so irrelevant that just distract from what's going on. I mean, why in the world is Jean Reno's character even a thing in this movie? Um, I mean, there, there's like entire, like 10 minute scenes of, of that are completely useless when it comes to the telling of the story. Um, it, it is at least, at least an hour way too long. Um, and, uh, it, it had, it had potential, but I think, uh, it, it really got away from itself and ran off the tracks. I think some of the performances end up getting way over the top and lose control. Uh, Anna Paquin has moments where she's good and moments where she's unbearable. Um, it, I don't know. I don't know what you see in this movie, Todd. It is... It is not, not a good movie. I, it, yeah. I'm giving it one and a half stars. Um, it's got some redeemable stuff in it, but goodness gracious, three hours of that? I mean, I, I would, I would rather watch, watch Lady Bird twice and spend that three hours doing that. And then, yeah, no, please no. No. Well, I don't argue that it's a mess. That's sort of like that's sort of the point. I mean, and what you would you say like you're like you don't you don't think they they spend enough time with the characters and why and that's why the two and a half hour version is not as good because it really does seem random. <laughs> okay, okay, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. There are there are scenes where it's like, why is this needed? This scene, this whole like storyline is not needed. And then there's times where it, you feel like it actually skips important scenes. I mean, it, it, it goes down this whole rabbit hole with some of the teachers and stuff that is totally unnecessary. And then um, you, you, get, you get a phone call and, and the next thing they're, they're at John Renault's funeral. I mean, what? what? It's, it, it's, there, there are like where there needs to be holes filled, there are gaps. And where there is there wasn't anything needed there's an hour of the movie that's <laughs> that's what i felt i i don't even know how i can <laughs> how i can respond to that <laughs> well all all I'll add is that i actually if, from what i remember of the movie i actually the john reno character was my favorite character isn't he in he a is a great with, character with, uh, yeah i think in killing him off was a bad move by the filmmaker um but uh, you know he's Terry, a great character you, but he adds nothing that's my point i felt that there were similar structural problems with manchester by the sea uh, and maybe it's just an issue with lonergan's writing style but he has way too many characters and i feel like he wants to provide screen time for all of them but they don't always connect in very coherent clear ways um that wasn't an issue ever with you can count on me so i don't know why that's really come up but um I'm convinced that this movie got lost in the editing room. We know it was a long ordeal. He sued, he sued the studio. It was a very tumultuous um, fight. So maybe somewhere uh, in the existence of this film, there is a good movie 
but we just don't know where. I, I think I think what happened, and you're right. I mean, this this film came out it was like four or five years after it was shot. Um, it was longer than that. Was it longer than that? No, it was shot in 05, right? It was shot yeah. in 05, so it was a six-year wait between when it was shot and when it came out. Um, yeah, I I actually, I I love Manchester by the Sea. I thought that one did a did a great job, and it felt like um, Margaret was like Kenneth Lonergan's attempt to make something like Manchester by the Sea. Um, the prob- problem is Margaret is, if, is like if Manchester by the Sea, like, eight ladybird and then just like absorb that running time into this one and try just to tell the like mother daughter like no story no no, 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 no. no it, it's all it's all the high school drama crap that has no bearing on what's going on with the and rest the of the movie it's all about lisa that the whole movie is about her like that it's all it's it seems really absorbed with her because she is self-absorbed that's the whole point yeah, and, she's and it, like she's like a stuck-up, spoiled Manhattan teenager. Is what the, that's the whole point. There, there are there. No, but she and it would it would be all right if she was a believable character. It, Lisa's a terrible character, and every she's time she goes person. off, just means she's a every time character. she goes off the rails, it's like, are you kidding me? What is going on here? You're Why not, am I? You're not necessarily supposed to like her, Terry. That's the point. No, but you're supposed to believe her. I mean, she is so contrived and so fake. Not not like fake as in she's the. It's a the person is is has this fake veneer. It's like this the, this character was written so poorly. Because it, nothing she does shows any logic. I don't know. It, it, I I could not believe what I was watching. I think this will just go down as as like a history of violence as one of those where we're just going to disagree forever. Because yeah. Well, you no. guys should watch that movie again anyway. But maybe I should just keep giving you Terry my 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 number ones of years so that you can still yeah. them. Like, I mean, this is the same thing with and, Holy yeah. Motors exactly. Oh gosh. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I, I don't want to pick on this film, you know. I do. I feel like this, <laughs> this film to me is a tragedy. I mean, clearly there was there's talent here, there's talent in the cast, and from what I remember, there were pieces that were interesting. But uh, the absolutely, fact the, the fact that the studio chopped it up and wasn't willing to negotiate with Lonergan about the final cut privileges, which which he had, but the studio didn't want to violate that. Well, he would have uh, never made it, this a movie. It, like today, like it, it totally would be an HBO eight episode. Yeah, thing. and that's what it needs to be. It needs to be a miniseries, quite honestly. It'd be Pretty Little Liars type type thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be. I, it, I think it would have been. It would have been a great hour and a half, a, hour right. forty five film. Dirty Little Liar. I don't know. But uh, but I think it just. He tried to do way too much, and maybe that. Maybe this was the the final result of of all of it. Is it was kind of a, a screw you for trying to take away my editing, and he just put it all in, and it just turned into this epic of nothing. And I agree, there were some really cool scenes and some really interesting scenes in there, especially um, especially near the end. But it was the the path you had to get to some of those good scenes made him not pay off at all. So we needed more. We need Nicholas Cage in the movie. There we you go. We need a coked up Nicholas Cage to make it. There you go. That makes every movie better. Anyways, we we may have to bring this up more later, but we're gonna move on because 
It is time for trivia. And for this time, we are not doing Oscar trivia. Uh, we are doing something a little different. Uh, Todd and I are, are major Seattle sports fans. And, uh, and Zach thought it was about time that, uh, that I got in on the trivia game a little bit. And I think, really, honestly, I think he was just sick and tired of losing. So uh, he has volunteered to put together a trivia quiz on the Seattle Mariners that Todd and I are going to take and Todd is going to lose at. And then I will make him watch something. Um, so that is that is the the uh, the plan. I've already here. seen Elizabeth out for the record. <laughs> oh, 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 thank you for for informing me. <laughs> so, uh, so Zach, did you have some fun putting this quiz together for us? I did. So this quiz is we're we're not just arbitrarily talking about the Seattle Mariners. They are on the path to clinching their first playoff appearance since 2001. And I thought in the spirit of that, why don't we uh, test Todd and Terry's knowledge of that particular memorable team? Very memorable team that won 116 games. And it weren't, if it weren't for uh, the New York Yankees, they might be World Series champions. Who knows? So this quiz is about that team that won 116 games. Now, to win games in baseball, you have to have pitchers that get credited with wins. This list is looking at the... 14 pitchers who were credited with wins for the 2001 Seattle Mariners. Now, we're going to go <laughs> one by one. I'm going to let you think about it for maybe a second. Okay, there are 14 pitchers credited with at least one win during the 2001 season for the Seattle Mariners. Think about it. Felix Hernandez was not on the team. Hint, hint, uh, for those of you listening out there. Um, but we are just going to go back and forth. And uh, we're going to see who really knows the true knowledge of the greatest team of all time. Except, of course, they didn't make it to the World Series. So I don't really know if they're the greatest team of all time. But uh, we think that, uh, well, Todd and Terry may, may disagree with that. So if you are ready, we are going to start in alphabetical order. So Terry, you go first. Okay, uh, Jamie Moyer. Correct. Freddy Garcia. Correct. Paul Abbott. Correct. Aaron Seeley. Correct. Ooh, good one. Uh, Kazuhiro Sasaki. Incorrect. Oh, no! <laughs> Todd, do you have another? Um, John Halama. John Halama is correct. <laughs> now, gotta be joking. <laughs> I thought that Kazuhiro Suzaki would trip someone up. Unfortunately, it tripped Terry up. So, in that event, which I thought might be likely, I did want to create a round two. Oh yes, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Do I, I don't get to keep going. Oh, okay. oh, well, uh, no. No, we are going to do a second round. Can, can, Todd wins the first round. Can we? Can we at least hear hear who else was on the list? Can we throw some others out there? Oh yeah, absolutely. There? Yes. Yeah. So, why, why don't we keep going? So, so uh, another is, one uh, was Jose Paniagua on there. Jose Paniagua is definitely on there. Correct. God, I just went in the wrong order. Todd, who do you else? Give Give me another one. You have uh, Franklin. Oh, Ryan Franklin. Fra Correct. Yeah. Um, Joel Pinheiro. Correct. Gosh, I just went in the wrong order. Uh, Norm Charlton. Correct. 
Ooh. Um, Arthur Rhodes. Correct. The only one I had was Gilmesh. I don't know if he was on the show on that team. Though. Yeah, I don't uh, think he was on that team. Incorrect. Carry anyone else? Uh, um, I think I might be out. Yeah, I'm done. Terry, I kicked he- your ass. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the other Sasaki! Sasaki, man! How did he yeah, not get no. a win? It's pretty remarkable that he didn't. Uh, how did he, other, how did he save like 50 games and not get a win? The other pitchers were Jeff Nelson, Brent, Brett Tomko, Danny Stark, Tomko. and Brian Fuentes. Gosh. But Terry, you have an opportunity to redeem yourself okay. in round two. Round two of the trivia of the greatest team of all time, the 2001 Seattle Mariners, is a similar structure, except instead of this time naming pitchers that are credited with wins, we are going to list off players who recorded at least one home run during the regular season. (laughs) Gosh. How many are there? With at least one home run, ironically enough, it is the exact same number. 14. 14. 14 players credited with a home run during the regular season for the 2001 Seattle Mariners. I will give you a brief moment to compile your thoughts. And again, King Felix not making the cut on this list, I don't think. Uh, But uh, we will have to see about that. So this time, since we started last with Terry, I think we will want to start this time with Todd. And Todd... Again, these are players who hit at least one recorded home run during the regular season. All right. Anytime uh, you're ready. Uh, Ichiro. Correct. Uh, Edgar Martinez. Correct. Uh, John Olerud. Correct. Brett Boone. Correct. Mike Cameron. Correct. Carlos Guillen. Correct. Ben Davis. Ben Davis is incorrect. Oh, Terry, can you really? keep going? <laughs> oh yeah, I can keep going. Uh, well, I can too. I thought he's like whatever. So, uh, David Bell. Correct. Todd, do you want to try and throw any more out there? Go for it. Dan Wilson. Correct. Jay Buhner. Correct. John Mabry. No, John. Oh, uh, Al Martin. Yes, correct. Uh, Tom Lampkin. Correct. Okay, that's all I got. Yeah, I, yeah, I had some of those. The others that you did not mention were Mark. Mark Mclemore. Oh yes. Stan Javier. Uh, Javier, yeah. Javier, and Ed Sprague. Ed Sprague. <laughs> I forgot he was on that team. My word. Ben Davis was like the backup catcher, wasn't he? He was even he played more oh, than Lampkin. Lampkin did. Lampkin was backup catcher. Ben Davis hadn't come around yet. Okay, so we have a tie going into the final round. The final round also has 14 players. 14 was an interesting number for the Seattle Mariners that year. This is the tiebreaker. This is the list of Seattle Mariner players from 2001 that recorded at least one stolen base during the regular season. 
I will give you time to collect your thoughts. Think long and hard about who may have stolen a base during that regular season. There were 14 players that recorded at least one stolen base. This is the tiebreaker round. Terry was much more knowledgeable about the home run hitters. Todd was much more knowledgeable about the pitchers, or rather didn't get caught up by Sasaki. Players in 2001 that recorded at least one stolen base for the Seattle Mariners. We are going to start with Terry. Uh, Ichiro. Correct. Cameron. Correct. Mark McElmore. Correct. Uh, I imagine Stan Javier did. Correct. Carlos Guillen. Correct. Brett Boone. Correct. David Bell. Correct. Um, I'm going to say Al Martin. Correct. Luis Ugueto. Incorrect. Oh! Todd, for the win, we need one player. John Mabry? Dude, he wasn't on the team. No, John Mabry. Wait, he was on the last list. That was one I got wrong. No, that was one he said, I thought. That was one I said. No, I said and he got wrong. Whatever. And it was wrong. Have you ever heard of a player named Edgar Martinez? He stole a base. He was eighth in stolen bases that year, with <laughs> a grand total of four. Luis Ugueto didn't? Uh, no, I'm not seeing his name. Oh, gosh. I must have had the wrong year. Okay, so... They, carry, they is... carried a speedster on the bench for, like... Oh, no, it was Charles Gibson. Charles Gibson... Is a correct That's pick, it. but that was last, it's a little too late. Ah, I had the wrong guy. Okay, ah! so this has been a very hotly contested. Raul Abanez uh, was he on that list? Uh, no. Well, what was the rest of the list? The rest of the list was Dan Wilson, John Olerud, Gene Kingsdale, Tom Lampkin, and Charles Gibson. Eugene Kingsdale, goodness. Wow, okay. Alright, so, the final tiebreaker. <laughs> Are we ready for it? The first person who says it will win. Are we ready? Sure. Yeah. You ready, Terry? Yeah. Okay. In the regular season, the regular season, the last pitcher credited with a Seattle Mariners win number 116. Who was that pitcher? Go. Abbott? No. Garcia? No. Moyer? Franklin? No. No. Palama? No. Charlton? Rhodes? No. Panero? Panero is correct! (laughs) (laughs) Are you kidding me? That's such an arbitrary one to throw out there as a tiebreaker. The 116 win. I think that's fairly significant. (laughs) Sasaki got the final out. I know that. He struck out A-Rod, right? Yeah, so you know the team that they beat to get the 116. Yeah. So, Terry, 
you are the master of 2001 Seattle Mariners trivia. Got a little stu- stumped by uh, the Sasaki, but uh, that I'm the one that got it right. Purpose. I well, said yeah, Panero. <laughs> well, and you. S- Wait, Todd said Panero. Todd said Panero. Oh, I thought Terry did. I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. So Todd is the champion. Yeah. Well, and so that year, that was a great year because, so 2001, the All-Star Game was even in Seattle at Safeco Field, and the Mariners had, I want to say eight. nine All-Stars, was it eight? Eight, yeah. Eight or nine All-Stars. Um, Ichiro led off the bottom of the first with an infield single off of Randy Johnson. Um, that was uh, smothered by JT Snow down the line. Yeah. <laughs> that that was that was also the game that Cal Ripken hit his hit a home run in his uh in his first his final first at bat in an All Star game. Um. Yeah, that was a crazy year. Well, Todd, you are the champion yet again, whether it be Oscars or Mariners trivia. Dang it! Or predicting Adam's list. Or and predicting Adam's list. That's true. And choosing. Uh, Good dead deadfalls to uh, <laughs> the hundred and sixteenth win. I mean, seriously, dude. How did hey. Sasaki not get a win that year? He yeah, must. That, yeah, he's probably like zero and five. Zero and four. Zero and four. Yeah, I, he, I guess he only did ever pitch in save situations. Uh, we'll have to do this more often. I like this Mariners trivia. It takes the pressure off. <laughs> Alright, so Todd, you get to pick something to, for one of us to watch. Yep. It, it might be five rays to Cairo. I had it all I had it all figured out what I was gonna have you watch too. Now I can't have you watch it. <laughs> I gotta wait till the next time that someone lets me uh participate in the Oscar or in the trivia. Alright. Well we can come up with another game. Yep. Oh we have some ideas. Stay Ooh. tuned. All right, it is now time to wrap this thing up. We've been going on way too long. It is time for the quote of the day. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack, you bastard. Quote of the day. Uh, Todd, since you are apparently victorious at every flippin' game we come up with, (laughs) give us your quote of the day. Uh, mine comes from one of my honorable mention uh, from our power ranking, Cedar Rapids. It is uh, Ronald Wilkes, played by Isaiah Whitlock Jr. And he busts into uh, a party to save the main character, and he says, I do a pretty convincing Omar from the HBO program, The Wire. <laughs> and it's made even funnier because he actually is in The Wire, but Omar is the most badass character ever, so it makes sense. That is a great moment. I really like that movie, and I don't think Zach likes the movie, do you? No, I gave it one and a half star. I think I gave it three. Ouch. Decent movie. It sucks. It's three and a half star movie. Well, this is from Deadfall, the Nicolas Cage version. Um, Maybe a quote you're familiar with if you've ever seen the supercut. It's when uh, Eddie has returned home to his girlfriend who's double-crossing him with the main character, and he asks in a way that only Nick Cage can ask, and you might want to Plug your ears for the children at home. What am I a uh, uh, man? Am I a uh, uh, huh? I knew what this is. Who's trying to stuff me up because there's a crazy little nephew being around? Well, vives off uh, France, man. Well done. Well done. That was better <laughs> than before. <laughs> on the Nick Thank Cage. You. 
had to warm up a little. Greasy little nephew. <laughs> All right. Well, my quote is uh, a, a little more. Uh, but it's basically the opposite of what of what Zach just said. Because my quote is of uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington and Senator Jefferson Smith, <laughs> which is about as far from that character as you can possibly get. Uh, anyways, it, it's a quote that really kind of sums up the whole movie and sums up uh, the character. Uh, he says, You see, boys forget what their country means by just reading the land of the free in history books. Then they get to be men. They are then they get to be men and they forget even more. Liberty's too precious a thing to be burned in books, Miss Saunders. Mentioned, hold it up in front of them every single day of their lives and say, I'm free to think and to speak. My ancestors couldn't. I can and my children will. Boys ought to grow up remembering that. So there's your uh, your closing message uh, this Fourth uh, of July week. Well, anyways, uh, thanks again so much for listening. Uh, rate, uh, review, subscribe, all that good stuff, and uh, we will catch you next time on the Almost Sideways podcast. See you later. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together. <laughs> <laughs>